everyone. My name is Michelle, and welcome to Romcom Weekly. Today, my husband Frank is back, and we're talking about the movie Definitely Maybe. How's it going, Frank? I'm psyched. Really? You're psyched? Yes. All right. I can't wait. Let's just dive right in. This movie was released in February of 2008. It's directed and written by Adam Brooks. It stars Ryan Reynolds, Abigail Breslin, Isla Fisher, Rachel Weisz, and Elizabeth Banks. The IMDb.com summary is, A political consultant tries to explain his impending divorce and past relationships to his 11-year-old daughter. It has a 7.1 on IMDb, and it made more than $55 million at the box office. So she's 11. So she's 11, yeah. I've been trying to figure that out the entire movie. I was like, how old is she? I should have just read IMDb. Yeah, yeah, there you go. All right, so Frank, what would you rate this movie on a scale from 1 to 10? I've been listening to some of the previous podcasts, and it seems like there have been some really high ratings. So I'm going to give this a 9.5. 9.5? Yes, maybe a 9.8. This is... Whoa. My favorite rom-com of all time. I do not know why it took us this long <laughs> to get to this movie. Wait, you said 9.5 or a 9.8? Yeah, pick pick either one. I think they're okay. both representative of how good it is. Got it. Okay. I'm going with an 8.5. Okay. For for you, that's a, that's a pretty high score. I agree. I think that is kind of a, a pretty nice score. All right. So why did you want to talk about this film and what's your relationship with it? So this particular movie has been something that I've always referenced as a film that I've loved and as my favorite rom-com. But until like preparing for this, this podcast, I never really took time to think about why I liked it. When I first saw it, I thought of it as an interesting kind of male-centric view of relationships. Mm-hmm. Thinking about it some more, there's probably a lot of broader underlying themes that I really that they just really resonate with me. So we can dive into those a little bit later. Yeah, I have a feeling that we will have a lot to talk about, especially since you're giving this movie such a high rating. And I also feel like I have a lot of things to say about this film too. So I look forward to this convo with you. I don't remember the first time I saw this movie. And it's not actually a movie I reach for a lot. I think because it's a male-centered perspective is a reason why I don't reach for it regularly. It's not a nostalgic film for me. It's not a big rewatch for me growing up, and it doesn't hold a lot of emotional weight. But with that, let's kind of dive into it. So what are some things that you like about the movie? I think it provides a really realistic, but also very hopeful view of relationships. From a forward-looking standpoint, it's very optimistic. But the fact is the movie looks into the past. And that actually builds the case for why the future is very hopeful, um, not just for Will, but also, you know, anyone who's who's looking for love or feeling that uh, they've lost out on love. I, I like how that's a very unique way of storytelling. The other part of it is it's a guy who has spent a lot of time with three very beautiful women and very different types of of partners. They're all very different. And I think that's very representative of the types of of relationships that you might go through mm. throughout your dating life. Interesting. Yeah, it is. It is inherently hopeful and optimistic. And it's also, I think, rare that we get to see the male be the hopeful and optimistic person because usually it's the other way around, I think. Right. So 
I want to start off by saying I think the cast is really great. Ryan Reynolds, charming, very charismatic. He plays this really well, this earnest, vulnerable, but like silly guy. You believe that he's a hopeless romantic. He's definitely a hopeless romantic if he was impersonating an inauguration in the mirror (laughs) when he was in college. Yeah, that was very cute. Isla Fisher, I really, really like her. I think the first time I saw her was in Wedding Crashers. Uh, and that came out in 2005. So she followed that up pretty quickly with this big hit. And Abigail Breslin, she's very precocious. But I have more to add on that on, on that later. What are some other things that you liked? I think it touches on the subject of regret. Regret is something that I, I don't dwell on a whole lot right now. But it's something that I used to dwell on. You know, going back to the hopeful tone of the movie, it kind of shows you why... Um, you can put regret behind you. So that for me, you know, thinking about it was very empowering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great theme. But yeah, maybe we can unpack that a little bit more later because I I also have some things to add for that. Um, I really liked that this movie depicts what I think are strong women. Each woman that Will likes or loves, they're all very different, like you said, and they're all flawed. But I think inherently they're all very strong independent women. I think Emily might be the least developed mm-hmm. in that sense, but Summer, who's played by Rachel Weiss, she's a journalist. She calls herself a workaholic. She's driven a lot by, you know, her big break, catching her big break. And then there's April, who she's more free-spirited, but I think she also has very romantic, lofty dreams of what she wants her life to be. I have a whole list of things I liked, so if you don't (laughs) mind, I'll just get into that. I think this movie is an original and non-formulaic rom-com compared to a lot of other rom-coms in the sense that I think when I first saw this movie, I don't think it was obvious that I knew which woman he was going to end up with. Oh no, not at all. Nor did I know who the mother was. So I didn't know how the movie was going to end. And a lot of rom-coms, you kind of know how it's going to end. I think maybe to a certain point in this movie, you start to realize who he'll end up with, but it's not inherently obvious. And I thought it was unique that off the bat, Will is getting a divorce. So you kind of already know there's a little bit of drama. There's some, you know, we're invested in this story. Having watched this movie a few times now, Once you know the ending, you start seeing the foreshadowing Mm -hmm. throughout the movie. And you're like, oh, how how did I not realize that? She says the name of the movie out loud. (laughs) You can't just cut that out. Um, And there's so many other signs that it ends up being April. Yeah. And you're like, well, I guess I'm just not a close watcher. That is really fun to to rewatch this movie for me. Yeah. And there's something to be said, like the more often you rewatch something, you kind of your disbelief also kind of falls a little bit further away from reality. A few other things. Will, I think, he's someone who always has a plan. And I kind of thought that was like just lightly refreshing because it's always like the woman is the type A person and like has a plan and is very regimented. But it's Will who actually like wants to become the president of the United States. He's working towards achieving his dreams. He leaves Emily, who's played by Elizabeth Banks, back in Madison, Wisconsin, to to see, you know, what his future holds. And that's probably just another way of me saying I like that this is told through the male perspective. I think this movie holds up. It's 12 years old. That's another reason why I like it. 
And an obvious thing for me, I hammer at home a lot in previous podcast episodes, is that this movie takes place in New York City. And it's very clearly filmed in New York City. Oh, yeah. It, a lot of these places we, we've we passed by multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very different nowadays, just because the landscape has changed a bit. But it's always fun to see like that deli uh, that's nearby April's place. It's in Tribeca. Uh-huh. I used to pass by that deli on the way to work all the time. I was like, oh, I recognize that. Tribeca, yeah. Yeah, it's... I miss New York. Watching these movies makes me miss New York, even though it's right in our backyard. Well, I mean, we haven't really gone out all summer, so kind of makes you miss it more. Yeah. Any other things, Frank, that you like about this movie? Not from, like, a general standpoint. Okay. Um, I think the exploration of the themes and the little individual things that happen together... I, I just feel like they work really well. Yeah. I do have one very specific thing I like to call out. Mm-hmm. It's the whole concept of this Jane Eyre book. So it's a book that I, I personally really like as well. And I think it's very sweet that this is a touch point for April's backstory. April being played by Isla Fisher. I don't think I said that yet. We'll get into that if we get to it. But I just want to say that I really liked that whole bit in the story. All right, so let's move on to what we don't like about the movie. Surprisingly, the more and more I watch the movie, the more and more I dislike Abigail Breslin's character. Oh, okay. She just becomes too precocious, and I get irritated by it. Mm. She's too mature. Little things start bothering me. Like, for instance, at the very end of the movie, she waits for, for April and then when she comes down the stairs and lets them in, she's holding her hand. Like, this is the person that your dad kind of maybe likes, but she's not your mom. <laughs> she, She's 11 here. Yeah. 11-year-olds are not this mature. I agree with you. I do think that she's very precocious. I actually, not to jump ahead, but her precociousness is actually a WTF for me, yeah, to your point. I agree. So... It's not something I dislike about the movie. I do think that it's never explicitly said how old she is. So it's interesting that you were surprised that she's 11 when I read the summary to you. How old did you think she was? I couldn't tell because she's so tiny. Yeah. And then they had like the whole sex ed thing. So I'm like, when did I, when was I in sixth grade? Was I that small when I was in sixth grade? (laughs) She could be just small for her age. Very true. That's really my only gripe with the movie yeah other than that it's like leave it alone don't change anything i don't actually have a lot of things i didn't like about this movie either but i do have like some small things so i mentioned earlier that i liked the casting of this movie i will say that i disliked the casting of rachel vice as summer really i don't love her in comedy or rom comedy She's more like of a dramatic British actress to me. I was going through her IMDb, and I want to read a few to you. In 99, she did The Mummy. That's how I came to know her, is The Mummy. And then in 2002, she does About a Boy. 2005 is The Constant Gardener, in which she wins the Oscar for. So in that movie, I don't know if any... Have you seen this movie? No, but I know it's not a comedy. It's such... It's Yeah, it's the opposite of a rom-com. It's... A very dark film. I remember I saw that movie in theaters being like, what the hell is happening? Yeah. And then she does this movie. So I was just like, I think all I've ever seen her do are these like a little bit darker films. And she always is British. 
And so seeing her felt a little unnatural in mm-hmm. this movie for me, personally speaking. So I disagree. Okay. I think she's perfect for Summer. Got it. The reason why I think she's perfect is because she's meant to juxtapose the goofiness of uh, of Isla Fisher mm. and April's character. Like, April's character is almost a caricature. They make her such an enigma, a rebellious person. That character is all over the place. Um, so you feel that Summer is more grounded in reality. She is the sophisticated person that plays off of the New York April and plays off the Madison, Wisconsin girl next door, Emily. Mm-hmm. She's the sophisticated uh, academic type. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Rachel Weiss does that very well. Yeah, I can see that argument inside. I think it's just the inherent gut reaction of mine is like, I don't think she naturally belongs in this world. Mm. I, I Yeah, I respect that. Like, especially for someone who's seen her throughout her career. This is a, like, it's a little bit of a blip. So it, it might feel a little bit awkward. I, I did want to call out, I think I read this somewhere, this review in the in the Times, I think, where I think the critic was A.O. Scott, and he called out the fact that all these three women are actually kind of depicted as women as like similar to their hair color. Emily, who's the college sweetheart, is like, quote unquote, the innocent one, uh, and she's blonde. Mm-hmm. And then you have Summer, Rachel Weisz, who's like the intellectual brunette, wears glasses, and then you have April, who's a little bit more free-spirited, a little bit more fiery, and she's a redhead. So it was kind of like delineated by their hair color was an observation that this critic made. So slight tangent, but yes. you said that Summer wears glasses. Uh-huh. And I noticed yesterday that Will commented on Summer's glasses when he attended Hamden's book reading. Uh-huh. And a few scenes earlier... At the bar, when he goes out with uh, all of his campaign friends, Mm -hmm. they ask him what kind of person he likes. And he's like, was it a bookworm with glasses or something like that? Something like that, yeah. And I was like, oh. Foreshadowing. They do a great job. Whoever wrote this did a great job. Adam Brooks. He wrote it? He wrote it and directed it. Oh, good job, Adam. Not that you need validation Um, from me. Side tangent, he also wrote the movie Wimbledon. I mean, that's a good movie. Is it? I thought they, you gave a they lot just, of... Kirsten Dunst and Paul... Bettany. Bettany. They're not good tennis players. Oh, that's your gripe? That's my gripe. They, they look so awkward hanging tennis All right, ball. well, let's save that for the Wimbledon pod, okay? Save your content for that one. But, uh, yes, Rachel Weiss. It is what it is. I think she does a great job. I just... I also don't know who else I would have wanted to see in this. I, I, need, I would need to think about that a little bit more. Um, but the other thing I didn't like about this movie, it's not a strong dislike. It's just I feel like it was a missed opportunity mm-hmm. in the sense that this movie is supposed to take place in the 90s in New York City. And I think there are some nods to the 90s in New York, but it didn't feel like I was in the 90s for the most part. Would you expect any more dirty No, I just I feel like I forgot that a lot of this movie was taking place in the 90s. I think a lot of the confusion in terms of the timeline itself kind of ebbed and flowed a lot from like, present day and then went to 92 and then it fast forwarded to 94 then to 97 and then 11 years go by 
And then now we're in 2008, which is present day. And, like, the characters all look exactly the same as they did. Will's hair changes. A little bit. Like, the wardrobe is pretty much the same. He also wears bell-bottom jeans earlier on in the timeline. I mean, actually, later on in the timeline. The late aughts are when flare jeans were still in. Uh Uh-huh. Anyway, that that was a didn't-age-well moment for me. Yeah, I just feel like it could have been better in delineating the timeline slash time frame slash where are we supposed to be right now? Like the the costumes and the hair, like I just kind of like, are we in 2008? Are we in 2002? I don't know. So I, I will grant you that the jump from each of the, like the primary meat of each relationship, mm-hmm. I don't know how long it takes for that jump to happen. Right. When Will uh, runs into Summer at an outdoor cafe and she like invites him to the thing. Yeah. I don't know how much time has passed. Right. Maybe they could have put a little bit of text saying two years later. Right. I just, I'm alluded to believe that it was 11 years ago because Maya wasn't born yet. Hmm. So that's why it's just an 11 year gap. Oh, uh, I see your point. The timing could be more explicit. Yeah. But I don't think it, it really impacts. No, I agree. It's just something that I noticed upon like a very close rewatch. I'm like, wait, what's happening? We're, we're, we're kind of all over the place with the timeline. Fair enough. Um, let's talk themes. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Please, go ahead. One of the things that I thought was a big learning that this conveys is that whatever is happening in your life, whatever you value today, it's really difficult for you to have significant regrets because everything that you regret now made you who you are now. Mm-hmm. And everything that you have is a product of everything that you did. Whether you appreciated it or not, you wouldn't be you unless you did all those things. Mm -hmm. And that's like a very liberating way to think about the past, Um, especially if you're like me and you dwell on mistakes um, that you've made in the past. Mm -hmm. So that's that's number one. The second piece is maybe uh, a little bit more generalized than this notion of regret that I gravitate toward is how timing is so important. Mm -hmm. And that's articulated in many different places. April says, forget about the real deal. You don't find it. It finds you. It's not who, but when. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the movie is necessarily saying that, but there are so many different things where it shows the maturity of individual characters over time Mm -hmm. and how they all change. Mm -hmm. So it's not like this person is right for this person. It's, Mm -hmm. are they right for you now? Mm -hmm. Are they going to be right for you in the future? And I feel like this movie is really deft at maneuvering around that concept without punching you in the face about it. And then your favorite quote, and this ties back to timing. Can I read it? My favorite quote? Yeah. Well, actually it's, it's the Jane Eyre quote. Okay, go ahead. The human heart has hidden treasures in secret kept in silent sealed. The thoughts, the hopes, the dreams, the pleasures, whose charms were broken if revealed. I didn't notice it until last night, but April and Will would not have worked as a relationship unless they individually found themselves. Mm-hmm. They lived their lives, and only in that silence, when they didn't say all those things that they should have said to each other earlier, it's only because of that silence were they able to mature separately and realize that Hey, 
maybe this is something that is right for the both of us now. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I don't want to like segue into tropes, but this particular relationship is an example of a rom-com trope mm-hmm. where April was in front of Will the entire time, mm-hmm. didn't realize it, or maybe partially realized it. And it all ended up about being timing. It all ended up being about timing. Exactly. Yeah. Words are hard. <laughs> I just feel like this movie navigated that notion of timing is so important, whether it's about the maturity and change of individuals, whether it's about things that aren't said or are said. Mm-hmm. It was just it's so great at, at pulling that together. Wow, you really, yeah, these are great thoughts that you are sharing right now. In my mind, could not have articulated it better. But I do kind of... I'm sorry. Are you finished with that? Okay. It's a little long-winded. Sorry. I want to go back to your theme of regret, though. Okay. Because I actually didn't pick up on this idea of regret in this movie. For me, I thought of it as, like, second chances. It's kind of true, though, right? It's cliche where people, like, are on their deathbed. It's like, oh, what are your regrets? It's like, oh, I don't regret anything because I wouldn't be who I am today if X, Y, and Z hadn't happened, right? So it is a refreshing reminder to try to not dwell on regrets so much and that we should continue to live our best lives. And if things happen, they happen for a reason and we all grow from those situations. Is that kind of what you were trying to say? Yeah, that sums it up well. Okay. All right. And when you mentioned second chances, yeah. did you notice that the other quote that was inscribed into Jane Eyre was hopes and dreams of second chances? So does this make you want to read Jane Eyre? It doesn't. I do not like English literature. That's a shame. I did read Jane Eyre uh, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I don't think I liked it. I don't think it spoke to me. Mm. But then again, Charles Dickens also didn't speak to me. A lot of the classics didn't speak to me. So I actually, so I recorded another episode with a friend and I mentioned Jane Eyre also in in the episode. Hasn't aired yet. But I read Jane Eyre recently, as in like a few years ago, as an adult. It was the first time I had read it. And I think it hit me very differently than how I would have read it when I was 15 years old. Oh. So that's why I say or ask... Is this a book that you might want to read? Because I think now as like an adult, you might take different themes and different takeaways from this movie or this book. Interesting. I don't know if how much has changed from like high school, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to lump these two classics together. I watched Little Women and I thought it was the best movie of 2019. (laughs) So maybe I can go watch Jane Eyre the movie. Uh, Is there a good version of it? I don't think so. No? Okay, I'll read the book. Yeah, the book is better. I want to go back to your timing thing, because I agree with you. That was actually a theme that I wrote down as well. I don't have as profound of thoughts as you did, but it's kind of a trope also in the sense that it's always missed timing, missed connections. April was ready to confess her love for Will, but this is also the moment when Will's buying a diamond ring for Summer, and then cut to... Will wants to profess his love for April, but she's also dating somebody, uh, Kevin, at the time. So it's just timing is incredibly important. And I agree with you that they both had to live their own lives to come together at the end. 
So it's, it's not necessarily a theme, but it's more of a concept that struck me this time rewatching the movie that I never really thought about before was the character Maya. Granted, she wants to hear her parents' love story for a different reason, but I was like, oh, what if we all just sat there and listened to our parents' love stories? <laughs> With this much detail? I don't need this much detail, but like, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear their love story from their perspectives as people who they are now. Oh, I haven't thought about that. My parents have been married for close to 40 years, and I know your parents also. It'd probably be like a two-line story. <laughs> like, uh. <laughs> We saw each other, and now we're here. Yeah, but it's, you know, now that we're older than when our parents were, when they met and they got married. So it's a different kind of perspective is what I'm trying to say and what I'd be interested in learning about or hearing their take on their love story. That's a good point. Maybe I should ask my parents the next time we go visit them. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see how your parents share their love story. All right, let's talk favorite scenes. Do you want to start? Yeah. So... It changes every time. Mm. And I think it. this movie has such a variety of scenes that your particular mood, I think, really impacts what you find to resonate. Okay. So my favorite scene this time that I watched it was actually when Will's at the campaign offices. Previously, it was when he sold the table for Bill Clinton for like, what, $50,000 or something. Uh-huh. That Victoria scene was very jubilant. Mm-hmm. But this time, it was actually when Will gets the opportunity to sell tables. He graduates from Being the toilet paper guy. Exactly. And he says, I have a desk, a list, and a phone. This is something that's so mundane. But it's the purpose that he gets. He's, He's working for a cause. He's being given responsibility. He's given a chance. I feel like giving people chances is like a a thing. Mm. It's like very important. So that particular moment really struck me. The other moment in the movie that was interesting this time around was actually the post-party scene where um, Will goes to April's apartment and they listen to Kurt Cobain and he learns who Kurt Cobain is. Mm -hmm. And there was just this electricity there Mm -hmm. that I know what's going to happen. I know who he ends up with. Mm -hmm. But it was such a, I don't know, there were sparks. And I, I felt butterflies. Oh. So prior to this rewatch last night, this was not one of your favorite scenes. This no. is the first time this scene struck you. Yes. Okay. Go on. That That's it. It's it's such a, it's not a very special scene. Mm-hmm. They do start talking about the Jane Eyre stuff. And I think this time around, I paid attention to the, to the quotes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I get it. So it's the combination of the themes coming together in one place, the primary love story blossoming, Mm -hmm. all of that just combined into a whirlpool of emotion. You're gesticulating a lot right now. (laughs) So many hand movements. So this scene is actually my favorite scene. Oh, it is? Yes. Has it always been your favorite scene? I think the past few times I've watched it, it has been. I actually am calling it the pillow talk scene because it feels like... A pillow talk in the sense that it's very intimate. And she's literally, I think, laying on a pillow on his lap. So that's why I'm calling it pillow talk. But you think it's a mundane scene. I actually think it's a very important scene. I think it puts us in this moment, this snapshot of we see this chemistry between Will and April. And I also kind of, I mean, you and I have been together for 
almost 10 years, believe it or not. I believe it. (laughs) Rude. So they're in this phase of just getting to know each other. That's the part that gives me the The butterflies. butterflies. Right. They're in this stage of getting to know each other. But this conversation they have is so intimate. She's sharing about her dad and the book. And, you know, they ask each other about like, what what are your hopes and your dreams for your life? And (laughs) I'm I'm realizing how right you are and how wrong it is for me to say that it's mundane. And it's, it's just a very real moment. I personally love those moments where you get to just talk and get to know someone a little bit more. Yeah, it's just this very real moment. And yes, there's a kiss, which they kind of try to forget about. I wish they didn't kiss in this scene. I don't know. It doesn't ruin it for me, but it also kind of upends this... Naivete? This like friendship that's blossoming. I actually think it's really important that they do kiss. Mm. That he, he pulls away or they pull away from each other. Yeah. And at the celebration party the next night or whenever somebody wins something, they see each other and they're like, let's choose to disregard what happened. Right. Because the kiss, it's it's out in the open. Mm-hmm. They, they know that there's something there. It's not just a, just a feeling. They can't, they're not hiding it. Right. They're choosing to put that in the background. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a very intentional thing. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. And then the other scene that I really like is bringing it back to this Jane Eyre moment is when Will finally gives the book back to April. Mm. There's a lot of pent up emotion in this moment. Will, I think by giving her this book so many years later is low key trying to say what he actually says at the end of the movie is that I don't want to give the book back to you because if I did, then this is that I had no more of you. Yeah, that that made me tear up. Probably every single time, except I'm, I'm getting older. <laughs> Are you getting emotional now? It, last night, I had no reaction, but now I'm thinking about it. And, <laughs> oof, these podcasts really just pull it out of me. Um, so, yeah, this moment, it's just, it's just so sweet because April, I think, is going through a lot of emotions. She's so elated to receive this book, but then also just also heartbroken to know that Will has been holding on to this book for so long. And she ultimately kicks him out. You know, she's like, I think you should leave. I think it's a very real moment in the sense that she's feeling a lot of feelings. Right. I'm pretty sure I've cried in the past in this moment, too, because she's finally reconnected with her dad. I'm going to start crying now, too. But I also just wanted to call out that I mentioned this whole Jane Eyre book thing Mm -hmm. as a reason why I like this movie. So a small fact about me is that whenever my dad gives me books, my dad actually gives me books quite regularly. I have I have a notebook that he gifted me yeah. last Christmas. My dad always inscribes his books to me actually. And and I realize like maybe I take that for granted. And <laughs> I mean that's Why that's, am yeah. I crying? This is ridiculous. I think it's a really sweet gesture. Pause. I'm fine. <laughs> Michelle's having a moment here. Yes. I think it's a very romantic notion that books are very sentimental, I think, which is why I think I hoard books also, personally. So yeah, I think there's something to be said about someone gifting a book to someone else, and then also, yeah, sharing a little piece of themselves with you. Yeah, it's pretty beautiful. All right, do you have any other favorite scenes, or what were other favorite scenes for you in the past that didn't make the cut this time? I think that's that's about it. 
Um, those are the key key moments. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to WTF moments then. Oh, okay. Do you have a long list here? Do you want to start? Uh, I had a list. I think we've covered quite a few, but a lot of them do center around Abigail Breslin's character, whose name I actually forgot already. Maya. Maya. That's it. Will told Maya that his mom cheated on him with his roommate in college. <laughs> yes. The next thing is the two dark-haired women who worked on the Clinton campaign mm-hmm. with Will. They look exactly the same to me. I can't tell them apart. The entire movie, I'm like... Yeah, yeah. Why couldn't, why couldn't they have casted somebody or dyed their hair a little bit differently? They do look very similar. So one of them is... Oh, shoot. I forget her name. But she's, she's in a lot of other uh-huh. movies. I know she's in... How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. She's in that Netflix show that we watched, Friends from College. I think her name is Anna Paris. I, I hope I'm not wrong. But yeah, so she's she's been around. But the other woman, I don't know. Okay. I've never seen her before. I mean, uh, they, they act well. I have no problems with, with that. It's just why well, pick two people that look exactly the same? <laughs> like, I I don't know. Yeah. That, that was just my, my own nitpick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one is actually two and one. It's it's the the scene where Emily confesses mm-hmm. about sleeping with Charlie. Right. Okay. So right before that, Will realizes that Emily came a little bit early, and he runs upstairs out of breath. How is she not suspicious? <laughs> he smells of cigarettes, alcohol, and probably to some extent April. Mm-hmm. And then she kisses him. Mm-hmm. And she's not suspicious at all. She says, you taste different. Yeah. But I know she's got something heavy on her mind as well. So maybe sure. she's not calling him out. Right. But still, yep. the second half of it is she shows no, she shows marginal regret. Right. She's like, I'm setting you free. Yeah. She doesn't apologize until like years later. Right. I agree with you. This is a big WTF for me. She shows no remorse. I mean, I'm saying she shows no remorse. You're giving her a little bit more credit by saying marginal remorse. She's kind when she breaks his heart. Right. But it's still, like, it's pretty cold. You don't need to sleep with someone to make that an excuse to break up with someone. If you don't want to be with him, just break up with him. I agree. What else you got? This might just be for me. I don't know how other people think about this. But after Will goes to Hamden's apartment and then... Hamden, by the way, who's played by Kevin Klein, which is great. Sorry, go on. He leaves, he goes to the elevator, and then Summer comes out and kisses him. Mm-hmm. And he says, what was that for? Mm-hmm. And she says, Hamden likes me to cultivate my, my curiosity. curiosity. <laughs> I was like, what? What kind of character is this who <laughs> cultivates curiosity by kissing random men? men who was just hanging out with her kind of boyfriend person right you know it's just weird i agree that's a wtf for me as well like i don't think kissing random people is a great of great practice like it's not a thing that one should do i think it should be a consensual kiss i don't think kisses should be brought on by surprise and yeah i don't think you need to be a great journalist to start kissing random people to be like i need to cultivate my curiosity (laughs) so i want to add to maya's precociousness wtf Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a few things to add on to what you said earlier. 11 years old is quite young. She keeps saying, I want you to be happy, Dad. You're not happy, Dad. An 11-year-old, I don't think, would 
Okay, I'm going to just stop myself right there because she knows that her parents are getting a divorce. So she must probably assume her dad is unhappy. So maybe this is where this is coming from. I didn't think about it that way at all. I feel like she knows this is happening. Yeah. And she only reacts like an 11-year-old one time the entire movie. It's right after the moment where Will tells her the story about meeting uh, Summer on the sidewalk cafe. And she tells him to stop telling the story. Mm. He says, everything's going to be okay. And then she starts breaking down. And she's like, no, everything's not going to be okay. You and mom are getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. The charm of her character is that she's super precocious. Mm -hmm. But just the fact that we've watched this so many times, we're just like tearing apart this concept, which I think the first time you watch it, you're like, oh, this is really cute. Yeah. So... I, I don't really fault them for, for making her this precocious. Yeah. I just also think that 11 years old is a little too young to understand the flaws in your parents' relationship. I don't need to know why my dad fell out of love with my mom or vice versa when I'm 11 years old. Yeah. Or maybe I do. I don't know. Is this to help her cope with this impending divorce? But it's also just like, I don't think an 11-year-old needs to know the ins and outs of her parents' mistakes in love. Mm. Fair enough. And also, Maya is the one who realizes April is the one in love with Will this whole time. Oh, yeah. Thank you for (laughs) reminding me that. She says she doesn't want to be the friend anymore. And the look on Will's face is like, huh, like he didn't know it. Will's also really stupid. Will is very dense. Yeah. Um, Why can't Emily mail the diary to Summer? So I had that and I didn't mention it because I feel like they're actually trying to tell us something. I mean, there is a throwaway line. Will does ask, why don't you just mail it to her? And then Emily's just like, oh, just give it to her. Something like that. Well, somebody else in the movie references, or maybe I just dreamt this. Oh, <laughs> you're dreaming about this movie now? <laughs> it's She gave him the diary so that, that he might fall in love with her and she'd be off the hook. Fall in love with who? Summer? Yeah. That Summer would seduce him somehow. That I don't think this is in the no, movie. No? Okay, I made that up. So you're saying that Emily's manipulating Will to fall in love with Summer. I think Summer is a free-spirited type of person. No, Maybe... Frank, I'm going to stop you right there. WTF. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine. I don't think it was thought out that in-depth. I think it's just... A mechanism to propel the meet-cute between Will and Summer. Fine. You believe what you want to believe. <laughs> I will turn Emily I into I didn't this. understand what you are trying to say, so I'm just going to cut you off right there. Um, so this is minor, uh, and I caught it, I think, a few times. Will's best friend slash partner, Russell, who's mm-hmm. played by Derek Luke, when the Robredo campaign falls apart, Russell's reaction is very surprising to me. Oh, you screwed up. You screwed up, Will. You really screwed everything up. And then that effectively ends their friendship and relationship. Right. And I'm like, why is Russell so heartless? Like, it's not Will's fault that this article got written. It's not Will's fault that Robredo did what he did. Right. Which was get a friend out on early parole, which is not a scandal anymore (laughs) in 2020. They, They would have had to change the plot. Yes, there would have had to be. I mean, I don't even know. The world has gone to shit in many ways that was two two and one okay why does Roberto's campaign end with a not meaty scandal and russell's reaction to the end of the campaign those are fair this is a tiny one 
your favorite scene when Will's making this fundraising call mm-hmm. actually was like a WTF for me in, in, in the way that like everyone in the campaign room is watching Will on the phone. Oh, okay. And I'm like... They got work to do. I'm not... I've never worked on a campaign before. I've never been in that room. But I would imagine it to be hustling and bustling from our many rewatch or my many rewatches of West Wing. This is not how campaigns work. No one's just watching quietly while you make these fundraising calls. But then how will they clap for him after yeah, he finishes? Yeah, the clapping, I don't think that's... Okay. I don't think that's what happened either. Okay, West Wing fan. I have a few other ones. Oh, They're wow, really? They're nitpicky. Okay, you can say them. Will goes to April's apartment to drop off Jane Eyre. The one that he found, right? Will leaves with the book. But he has already seen the roommate and he has met Kevin. What happens when April comes back from class? Roommate and Kevin are like, oh yeah, Will came over. What did Will want? I don't know. Will just came and left. In a real world scenario, if someone came to see you and you weren't home and then this person left, I'd be like, what? Why? What? What's happening? Frank, your friend came over (laughs) to drop off something but then left? It's very fishy to me. You are right. <laughs> but while we're talking about the book. Yes. I know Will is racked with guilt by not giving her the yes, book. Yes, agree. And I know that this is a very nitpicky WTF. You don't even know what I'm about to say. Oh, sorry. Go on. Why don't you lie, Will? Why are you telling the truth that you've had it all this time? Like, you obviously have feelings that maybe you don't realize until you talk to Maya, but... No, it's good that he told the truth. Yes, it is good. I'm not saying that he should learn a little bit from Bill Clinton, even though Bill Clinton at this point in the movie has fallen from his mantle, Mm -hmm. right? But just don't have to tell the whole truth. That's ironic coming from someone like you who likes to tell 99% of the truth all the time. Yeah, I'm just saying in romance, sometimes lying... What are you trying to say? I'm just saying that truth is not always the way to a woman's heart or anyone's heart. It's not all, 100% truth actually moves you backwards. You got to have a little bit of wiggle room there. This is very informative for me, Frank. Thanks. You're welcome. All right, let's talk the ending. What are your thoughts? I know we alluded to it a little bit earlier, but do you have any further thoughts? I like how they wrapped it up. Mm-hmm. I like how all the relationships had a nice little bow on it. You got to see how everything, like, quote-unquote, ended. So, for me, the ending was very, it was optimistic, and there was a lot of closure. I really like closure. I really like everything tied off in a nice little bow. So, I have no qualms whatsoever about the ending. Rom-coms are great because they're usually tied up in a nice bow. I wrote in all caps, yes, I like the ending. (laughs) It was very emotional for me. I cried at this moment last night while we rewatched it. It was the moment, like I mentioned earlier, where Will tells April, I kept the book because it's the only thing I had left of you. And April just looks at him like very sweetly and understanding in that moment. And yeah, I cried. And I was like, why? Why am I crying? I don't think I've cried at this in, in a long time, but it hit me yesterday. And I I think this ties in pretty well with the next question, which is, do these characters stay together? I think they make it. I think the signs point to the fact that they're going to make it. Obviously, there's no guarantees, but I feel like they've been through a lot uh, together over all these years. 
So, you know, if they're not going to make it, I'm not really sure what uh, what's in store for these two. Yeah, I agree. I think they stay together. I think they have this basis of a solid friendship for that spans more than a decade. I think that they, through, you know, this friendship and being pen pals, I think they've come to learn a lot about each other. They know each other's character flaws, their strengths and their weaknesses. But I do think that maybe the most challenging part is potentially raising Maya together. Even though Emily's a very hands-on mom and Maya's already 11 years old and a very mature, precocious 11-year-old. She seems to like April as well. Because she wants her dad to be happy. <laughs> she seems like a very get-along type of 11-year-old. She seems very sweet. Very sweet and just truly wants her dad to be happy. And um, yeah, I think that that might be the hardest part because maybe April didn't see this part coming. Oh, that, okay, fair enough. Do you have a favorite character? So this is actually an area that I thought pretty hard about. I was going through each one of the characters trying to be like, do I really like this character? And then I'm realizing, no, I don't actually like any of these characters. You don't like any of them. So no. they're not likable to you. So maybe I'm using the word too, too like... Literal? Too literal, okay. yes, which I, I do a lot. Yes. I like all of them. They're all pleasant. Mm-hmm. Like maybe Emily's a little bit on, on my shit list, but... Other than her, like everyone's like nice, but what I noticed is most of the character development happens off screen. Yes, with the passage of time. Agree, a hundred percent. Like Will actually doesn't change a whole lot, in mm-hmm. my opinion. He goes through a lot. Right. The movie depicts his evolution, mm-hmm. but you never feel like it's not a character development thing. It's it's a development of a lifetime or like a, a passage of. 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. So the characters themselves are not super strong. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree with you. I actually literally wrote down, I have a cop-out answer for this because I think everyone grows in the mm. sense that the passage of time is a great mechanism for people to live life and inherently and naturally grow. So I agree with you. Will doesn't really have character development. But at the same time, yeah, everyone has story development just inherently because of the passage of time. But in terms of my favorite character, it's not an obvious pick because I also had to think a little bit about this. Sometimes it's quite obvious, but I'm going to go with April. Uh I think she challenges Will. I think Will challenges her. She's also the most interesting character to me. You say that she's a walking contradiction, but I think I like that about her. I think sometimes you are a walking contradiction, and here we are. So, you know, I off the bat, we meet April. You know, she's copying papers for, for Will at the campaign office. And he's like, you're not a Republican. And she, like, just pushes him. She's like, why do I have to be a Democrat or a Republican? Why, does, why do these labels matter so much? Mm. And, and then she further challenges him, like, fast forward to a different scene where they're at this rooftop party that April asks Will to go with her to on her birthday. And Will's like, I'm going to propose to my girlfriend, Emily. And she's like, what is marriage? And she kind of like tries to break down this whole social construct of marriage. And she says something, something about capitalism. Like, you know, she's just kind of all over the place, but she just, she's so opinionated and she's, it doesn't seem her opinions are willy-nilly. I feel like she's thought about things. Interesting. Rightfully so, because she ends up being the love interest for Will. I think she's the one that has the most backstory as well. So I know this is not the actual question, mm-hmm. but when I watched this movie the first few times, Isla Fisher is my celebrity crush. 
Mm. And it was partially because of her character in this movie as April. Mm -hmm. Because at the time, I think I wanted a partner that was similar to April. You know what? This is one of my questions. Is which women would you want, like, you know, all things considered, who would you pick as your partner out of these three women? And it just goes to show how much things change over time. Mm -hmm. I am not the same person that I was when I first watched this movie. Mm -hmm. Like, her character irritates me. Mm. At this point, I feel like it would be it would be like a summer type. It's the difference between like the person who continually challenges you and is super opinionated versus the sophisticated person who just does what they want. I feel like as a person looking for a relationship, I wouldn't look for April's character, at least not the early version of April's character. Mm -hmm. We don't really know a whole lot about April's character after she's, you know, gone back to NYU and... Right, because she's presumably in her, like, 20s, too. Like, as we were, as most 20-somethings are, they're trying to figure out their lives, too, right? Right. So, it's not really for me to make a judgment on a character that we haven't actually really learned a lot about at that, at this part of the movie. So, 10 years ago, I would have been looking for an April 10 years later, probably be looking for, for a summer. And I don't know. I hate Emily. I just don't think she's a nice person, even though she's the mom. I mean, she's just so cold hearted. She didn't show any remorse. Is that the only reason why you don't like her? We also don't know a whole lot about right, her. Right. The only thing we know about is she kind of screwed over Will. Yeah. Okay. Let's go back to the original question though, is who's your favorite character? So you're saying, are you saying you don't have one? That's correct. Oh wow! I mean, so I'll do I'll do what I normally do. Mm-hmm. I'll pick the brawn of this movie, which is Hamden. Hamden brawn, by the way, for you listeners, is is Frank's favorite Game of Thrones character of all people on Game of Thrones. Brawn is Frank's favorite character. I think Hamden is the brawn character of this movie as well. He's a person who is kind of one-dimensional. You, you see a little bit of his growth after he gets, like, his heart attack sort of situation. Mm-hmm. But by and large, he's this boisterous, very outspoken, very clear about his intentions. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really change. He's mm-hmm. not supposed to change. Mm-hmm. He's there for comedic relief. And he actually represents some interesting thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, be a man, which doesn't age very well at this point. And he also talks about the decline of the English language. Yes. He wrote a book. I think the book was called The Decline of Everything. Oh. And I wrote down that I would actually be very interested to read this book. I, I would be interested to read it as well. Yeah. I, if I were to gift it to you, I would also write a little inscription. Thank you. But like the way that we talk nowadays, I feel for him. Like if he was still around mm. now with all the the texting that happens. Yeah. With the shorthand, like I can't keep up. Yeah. So Hamden. I think that's a good pick. I do wish that we saw more Kevin Klein. I think that he was underutilized in this movie, as was Derek Luke, I think, as Russell. Uh, not to jump ahead, but I did look up on YouTube some deleted scenes, and I think that there are quite a few with Derek Luke. Oh, we should go and rewatch. But yeah, I think, I mean, this movie was actually quite long. It was almost two hours long, I think. So I understand that they probably just had to cut a lot of stuff out for time's sake, but... I think that there was a supporting cast that could have been used a little bit more. Quotes? What about quotes? You have quotes? I have a quote. Okay, go ahead. There's this point in the movie where 
Uh, Will asks April something, and April responds by saying, well, I'm telling you now. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm reading that as like, it doesn't matter what happened before. Like, like this thing is in front of you now, mm-hmm. this particular point in time. The only decisions you can make are what's presented in front of you. So that just goes back to the whole like timing thing that the movie plays around with. And it's in a vacuum, not very impactful, but like together it all just hits you at uh, different angles. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Did the music in this movie speak to you at all? Right before this podcast, I was listening to the, the music from this. And for some reason, I think I looked it up on IMDb Trivia. Mm-hmm. Clint Mansell is the person responsible for this soundtrack. Yes. Do you know what other movie Clint Mansell has done the soundtrack for? No. Requiem for a Dream. Oh, that's it's, a very different... It's a very different movie. It's also a soundtrack. It's the Kronos Quartet that did Requiem for a Dream. Okay. I love that soundtrack. Scary as hell movie, but mm-hmm. soundtrack is, is haunting. Mm-hmm. And this is just such a, a happy-go-lucky movie. Mm-hmm. I was just like, huh. Does it speak to what a good composer he is then? Versatile. It's very versatile. Mm. But like in terms of the choice of songs, none of the songs really spoke to me. Yeah. So in terms of not like the score of the soundtrack, which you are referencing, the music in and of itself, like I heard Vanessa Williams, Nirvana, obviously, and there's some other. I just feel like, again, I brought this up earlier as one of my dislikes is that I didn't feel like I was in the 90s. I feel like they could have really used music as a vehicle to kind of make you feel like you're more in the 90s. I think they tried to do that with Nirvana a little bit, Mm -hmm. but that was kind of the only touch point of the 90s for me. That's fair. It was fine. It was fine. Do you think this movie is beloved and popular? Hmm. I think there are a lot of people who really, really like the movie. Who are these people? I don't know. Probably people maybe like me. Mm Mm-hmm. I think the people who like this movie are very introspective. I don't know. So I, I'm actually unsure if it's beloved. I think this is a good movie. I don't think I've heard anybody else really express their love for this movie. But I will say, and I think I mentioned this earlier, is that I think because this movie is told from a male's perspective, a lot of my personal male friends gravitate towards this mm. movie. I've had other people request actually to record this movie. No, hands off. This is mine. <laughs> so, and all those people have been men. So I think that there's something to be said about that. I will say that Ryan Reynolds, I think maybe adds some belovedness to this movie, but I also don't think it really does. Like, I don't think this is the rom-com that people go to for Ryan Reynolds. I think the proposal. It's not- oh, okay. That's a good movie too. With Sandy B. With the really cute dog. Yeah, is the one that I think was more of a splash at the box office, for lack of a better term. Not Just Friends. Oh, I love Just Friends. Hang on. I wrote down his, um, some IMDb, like, his hits. Uh-huh. Just Friends came out in 2005. His IMDb is kind of all over the place. I actually knew him from Two Guys and a Girl in a Pizza Place, that TV show. What? Yeah. I'm not familiar with it's that. It's from the early, early aughts. And then he does Van Wilder, Harold and Kumar, Blade Trinity, Just Friends, Smoke and Aces, This Movie, Adventureland, The Proposal, X-Men. Like, it's just a lot of different kind of genres, I think. Should really stick with rom-coms. I feel like this... (laughs) I think he's done pretty well for himself. 
And is it gin? Is it tequila? What is he selling? Aviation gin. Aviation gin, yeah. Sponsored by. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> one could wish, one could hope for. But yeah, I'm just saying, like, I think Ryan Reynolds anchors this movie, obviously, but I don't think this is the movie that a lot of people uh, associate him with. And then in terms of the other leads, like Elizabeth Banks, Rachel Weiss, and Isla Fisher, again, like, I think maybe because there's not one primary woman, it's kind of shared across uh-huh. three different storylines. I don't know. It's, I guess, not as digestible. It's not a super easy watch. Like, I think you and I have picked up a lot of different things and yeah. themes and messages from this movie. So maybe this is a rom-com that's trying to say a lot of things and that it's not necessarily, you know, something to have on in the background type thing. Yeah, I wouldn't keep a movie on in the background. Regardless. Ever. (laughs) We're very different that way. What are your thoughts on if this movie has aged well? I have a few thoughts. Please. Number one. (laughs) Three bullet points. Oh, boy. Number one. You can't ask an intern out. Yes. Just no. But to Will's credit, I don't think he actually does. Right. But I'm saying April can't even suggest that he should consider this. It's just no. Okay. Second thing. There's, is there a 1A to your no, point one? No, I do not have a sub bullet okay. for these three. Um, the next thing is April's apathy. I know it's representative of the 90s about like, why does everyone have to put a label on it? Mm. Today's climate, it's very difficult to not have an opinion. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like 21 Jump Street mm-hmm. when Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill, Jonah Hill go back to school and Channing Tatum's trying to be like all apathetic and one strapping it saying, you know, I don't care. Yeah. And that's now deemed uncool. That's uncool. You're supposed to care. Yeah. You're supposed to care about the environment. You're supposed to wear two straps on your backpack on your shoulders. Exactly. So I think that part you only maybe get if you understand the 90s, which was a period of rebellious apathy. Mm. So maybe that's not something that ages or doesn't age well. It's just those were the 90s. Sure. The last thing I'll say is this is not actually something that aged poorly. I think this was actually something that was very future forward. Mm -hmm. The AirPods that Will seemed to be wearing at the beginning of the movie are wireless Bluetooth things connected to some device. There's a little antenna poking out. I watched really closely this time. Uh And I was like, what? Was out in 2008. Because mm. those look like they're from 10 years into the future. Yeah. They're just not white. I think it was like synced to his MP3 player. Yeah. I think so. I think I saw something or read something as part of trivia is that they were just props. Like it wasn't a real technology that existed in 2008. Oh, really? Yeah, that's um, a weird prop to have. Like couldn't they have given him headphones that had wires at the time, which would seem much more realistic. Yeah. I think maybe they're trying to depict Will as like this cool ad guy. I think he's in advertising, right? When the when the campaign doesn't work out, he... Oh, he pivots? He's consulting or something. Yeah, it's... I think maybe we're just led to believe that he's quite successful mm-hmm. in his career, even though he's kind of apathetic about it in the present day. I actually think this movie's aged quite well. I mean, granted, Will's working on a Democratic campaign so that there is diversity. Of course, his best friend is black. I was watching um, for behind the scenes, like extras, like there were Asian people, there were black people, there were Hispanic people. Like, I think there was thought that went into that. I mentioned this earlier, the reason Robredo abandoned his campaign 
for being the quote unquote tough on crime guy and like letting someone out on early parole. That is not a scandal that would happen today. But I do think it's aged pretty well, which is yeah. why I think that there maybe is longevity to this movie. I'll probably still rewatch it 10 years from now. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you'll have a, dif- a different perspective in the sense of thinking about regret and timing. Maybe I'll gravitate toward Emily later on in my <sighs> life. I don't know. So I have a few points of trivia here. Rachel Weiss was originally supposed to play Emily. Oh. The only American is Elizabeth Banks in this movie. In terms of the leads. Oh, Ryan Reynolds is Canadian. Ryan Reynolds is Canadian. Isla Fisher is Australian. Rachel Weisz is British. And Elizabeth Banks is American. Kevin Klein? I'm saying the four leads. Oh, oh, okay. I think Kevin Klein's American. And I think Abigail Breslin is American as well. Adam Brooks, who's the director, writer-director, he's actually the guy who plays the bookstore guy who gives Will the copy of Jane Eyre. Oh, and then, as I mentioned, there were a few deleted scenes that I looked up very quickly. One scene was Maya tells Will that mom is dating somebody else. And Will kind of like stops and is like, well, are you okay with it? And she says, yeah. And Will says, well, then I'm okay with it. Hmm. And then I mentioned Russell, I think, had some extra screen time that was unfortunately cut out. His storyline is that he wants to run for Congress. And I think... Will wants to be his campaign manager. And that was kind of it mm. in terms of where that storyline went. A little light on trivia. Yeah, light on. I, I couldn't find a lot of trivia or interesting to me trivia. There was some other trivia that I just didn't think to include because it wasn't that compelling to me. Um, but I think that about wraps it up. Do you have any last thoughts or things you want to add? The only thing I would add is if you're listening to this and you haven't watched the movie for some reason, <laughs> Uh, it's streaming now on what service? Netflix. It's on Netflix. Run, don't walk to Netflix, and and watch. Uh, definitely, maybe. That's kind of a stupid thing to add. <laughs> who's who's listening to this? Who hasn't watched the movie? I I do have a few things to add. I mentioned earlier New York City, the landmarks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to call out Central Park Zoo and yeah. the penguins. Oh, this is a trope that we missed. Mm-hmm. Penguins mate for life this is something that we learned in this movie as well as as in the dane cook and jessica alba movie (laughs) about penguins is it good luck chuck it's good luck chuck oh my god we were watching this movie last night and frank was like "Ooh, jessica alba um i did want to close with this it's a quote from the new york times review by a.o scott quote i've been known to complain about the abysmal quality of contemporary american romantic comedies which forsake intelligence individuality, and emotional risk for crude sex jokes or gauzy bridal magazine fantasies. While Definitely Maybe is hardly perfect, it navigates the choppy waters of modern courtship with commendable, understated honesty. End quote. He's writing these reviews for a reason. Like, this is a great summarization of how I feel. Yeah, I think if it's good enough for the New York Times, then it must be good for us all. And then I want to close with, which we didn't mention at all, is the tender relationship between father and daughter, between Will and Maya. I think it'd be nice if we saw more of these kinds of relationships depicted on screen. And I just thought it was really sweet. It was. It reminds me of Father of the Bride. Yeah. But in a, in a younger sense. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. I think that wraps it up. Thanks for going on this journey with me, Frank. And it truly was a journey. I'm emotionally spent. Yeah, I cried. So, you know, <laughs> there's that. 
To all tuning in, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Romcom Weekly. You can follow us on Instagram. And please leave a comment. Let us know what you think of this movie. What would you rate this movie on a scale from 1 to 10? And we'll chat with you again next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you.